Stones aren't bread. Snakes aren't fish. Little kids, they are so full of hope that they're contagious to be around. If you're with them long enough, you want to be like them, full of wonder and expectation. It's an amazing, contagious environment. They're so distracted by what could be that they seem to flit through life without a care in the world. When was the last time you were spellbound with wonder? When your heart was so excited to see what was next that you couldn't eat or sleep? Now, most people only experience these kinds of feelings around falling in love or meeting the love of their life. And there's no surprise there because hope and love are part of the same sense of goodness and well-being that everybody longs for. When we live in love and hope, that's when we finally seem to find rest. You know, that feeling that all's well with the world. Have you ever noticed that? You've been there. I am sure you've been there. Whether it was puppy love or first love or long-lasting love, there's something about knowing you are loved and being settled and secure in being loved. That's when we actually see life as it's meant to be. When you know someone loves you just for being you, it gives you a strength that you didn't have before. I know I've experienced that. Well, this is true when you find the love of your life in another person. But, oh my word, how much more this is true when you discover that God loves you just as he made you bumps, warts, quirks, and all. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent out his son to rescue you before you ever knew his name. Now, come on. You haven't been easy to convince of his love. You challenge his intentions. You question that he is personally interested in you personally. You run from commitment. And you live in a low level or high level. I don't know. You fill in the blank. You live in a fear that he might get tired of working with you and tired of waiting for you to finally get it. But here's the wonder of wonders about God. He doesn't quit. He isn't controlled by time and space. And he doesn't judge you by those either. What would it take to get you to let go of hesitation and fully trust in the only one who knows you the best and loves you the most? What kind of mental images make you feel secure and protected. Turn on the screen of your own mind and look at what you see when you think of the words protected and secure. What does that look like to you? Are there criteria that you look for to warrant your trust in someone? Have you ever thought it through? What it might take to get you to trust? Well, if you're like me, Sometimes, if I can't answer a question the way it was asked, I'll flip it around and see if I can answer it in the opposite. I know, you already think I'm quirky, but it works. Sometimes, if I can't answer the question the way it's asked, I'll just take it and flip it around and answer answer the opposite of it. So if I do that with this question, what would it take to get me to let go of hesitation and fully trust? 
Well, I can tell you what does not inspire me to trust. Unkept promises. Or promises that have been reworded and diluted and explained away. The reason that undermines my trust is because when I put my hope in a promise, there's a whole lot more that follows my hope than just some kind of simple wishful thinking. No, I start to live with that hope in mind. I intentionally rework my day so that it fits into what I'm doing and I fit into what I'm in pursuit of. I'm, I'm engaged in the process. So if the party that made the promise doesn't engage, or if it seems to me like they aren't focused, or they're not showing any intentional actions, I can't see them taking actions that'll lead to the same goal, I start to wonder if we were at the same conversation. On a personal level, this was the primary sticking point that my dear husband and I had over 36 years of marriage. It took him a couple of decades to believe that when he told me something, I actually believed he meant it. No matter how short the conversation was, even if he made a, a, a passing comment to me, I would hang my hope on it as it went by. And then I would start thinking and planning and acting toward the outcome of what I thought we were both in agreement to. As you can imagine, if time passed and I thought the results should be coming into view any day now, I would ask him about it only to discover that he hadn't remembered or he hadn't put it into his plan or maybe he had heard what he, he said completely differently than I did and got distracted. Well, you know how this ended, don't you? I ended up in tears. He ended up explaining and we were teetering on an argument. But worse than all of that and the emotional little cycle of that, the worst part of it is I started to question any time he made a prediction, a promise, or anything that resembled it. Even if he, after the fact, tried to go back and remedy the last one by doing half of what he promised or, or, or a fulfilling part of some version of the original statement I thought I heard him make, I even threatened at one point to start recording all our conversations. Now that's desperate lady. But you see, it still fed something in me that slowly slipped into mistrust. With that in mind, going forward, the hill of trust was even harder to climb. It's already a hard hill to climb. Trust is not an easy thing. We don't come by it instinctively once we get past early, early, early childhood. In our case, fortunately, we had so many other good, solid areas of our marriage that this wasn't a deal breaker, not at all. But inside me, I was aware that a fracture was visible. And that fracture became visible once I accepted mistrust. Now, of course, there were subjects that I completely trusted this man on. He was an engineer by study. I had no problem trusting his ability to fix things or build things. In fact, I loved it. I missed that. Oh my gosh, I never had to hire a, a handyman or a uh, utilities guy, an electrician, a heating guy. Never had. We never had to hire anybody because he knew how to do it all. So I get that. I knew he could fix things. I knew he could build things. 
So there was no problem there. And that's why I kept believing his timelines. And I got to tell you, it was those nasty little timelines. Oh my gosh, the timelines were where the fault line was. It was the question of when things would be done that caused me the most trust problems. If it was a project that I had control of, I could control the timeline. But when I needed him to get something done or to plan something to get done, I had no control of that awful word, when. And I got to tell you, the subject of when is a train wreck of trust waiting to happen. You know what I'm talking about here. You and I understand the question of when. I would hear my husband's promise to fix something or finish something else. And in my mind, it meant soon, or at least relatively soon. He might not have said a time, but hey, he knew how to do it, so why not just do it? I didn't think my expectation was misplaced. If time passed and he didn't seem to put it on his calendar, it started to make me feel like I wasn't important enough to make it on his calendar. Now, I know that's a bit of a leap, but if you're honest, you feel the same way. You do know I'm headed towards our relationship with God, right? I'm talking about my relationship with the closest person on this planet that I had a relationship with, and that was my husband. But that's where it showed up, where I realized, wait a minute here, even if he never set a timeline, I felt a timeline. And the longer it went from the time of promise to the time the project was done or the, or the object was fixed, the more it started to feel like a personal insult to me. Now, that's another subject for another time, but let me tell you, the point of promises and how fractures occur in trust, oh, that is a point you and I should examine. There's a proverb that says, hope deferred, delayed, drawn out, makes the heart sick, weakened. It diminishes the heart. It troubles the heart. But when the desire comes, it's like a tree of life. That means it's full of fruit. It's got, it's got lots of stuff to provide you. And you get started eating that from that tree of life, and all of a sudden you forget the, the hope that was deferred. Well, you see, in human relationships, like the one I was describing with my husband and I, we start out with two defective in individuals. They're attempting to build trust, which is hard on its own, let alone with two defective individuals. Now let's add something else to that. It's hard because each person has their own biased interpreter inside their head and their heart. Fortunately, in the relationship that you and I are going to talk about here today, you and God and me and God, there's only one defective party. You figure out who that is. And there's only one of us that has a biased interpreter sitting inside, feverishly translating every event as good or bad, just or unjust, fair or unfair. So what would it take at this point in your life with God, all things considered, 
what would it take for you to trust God with a mind filled with peace and a heart at rest in Him? Can you trust Him like a hopeful child? Can you, today, all things considered, really believe that yesterday did in fact end at midnight and today can you choose to not carry over into today what you interpreted as failed promises yesterday? Is your bias about his promises kept your fault line? Has your memory file of God failures grown so large that you now instinctively mistrust first? So again, what would it take? In my case, I start most days with a fundamental fact. It's the basis of my relationship with God. It kind of sums up the basis of my relationship with God, how I see it. It's something I say right out loud. Now, let me tell you, this hasn't been easy to get to, and it has taken me decades to be where I am today. I just hope that I can help shorten your journey to the same place just a little bit if you're not already there or past me. This simple statement of fact is a part of almost every single day. Here it is. Father, I know, I know if I ask you for bread, you will not give me a stone. If I ask you for fish, you won't give me a serpent. It's my bedrock of trust in God. If something shows up in my day that seems off and doesn't look like what I asked for, I assume it's because of how I'm seeing it or that I'm misinterpreting it. I instinctively go to bedrock. That's where I am now. That is not where I've been my whole life, but that is where I am now. I might not understand what I'm seeing or feeling, but let me tell you what I understand. I understand bedrock. When I was looking for a home or property here, I was concerned about sinkholes. Hey, come on, it is Florida. It's a legitimate thought to think about sinkholes. I just wanted to be sure. So I called the environmental department of this county and I asked about sinkholes on this barrier island. And she was very quick to answer. She said, there are none. This is not a sandy bottom island, she said. This island sits on bedrock. I pushed her a little bit. I questioned her a bit more. But I'm telling you, she held firm. This sits on bedrock. There is no danger of sinkholes here. Well, you see, in a relationship, bedrock matters because fractures in trust leave your heart fearful of sinkholes. The what if. The what if something does happen or what if something fails to happen? And I got to tell you, in a relationship, what if is a grotesque taskmaster. Oh my gosh. What if will steal your hope? What if will harden your heart? What if will silence your joy? But I got great news. The great news is there is a cure for sinkholes. It's called bedrock. What is the bedrock of your trust? Yours. What is the bedrock of your trust? Are you a white-knuckle believer that's learned to joyfully eat stone 
even though you ask for bread, just eat it cheerfully? Or do you hold steady when you don't understand what looks like an unanswered, unkept promise? Do you hold steady knowing that if you ask for bread, he will not give you a stone? Either you aren't seeing what's in front of you correctly at the time, or it could be that what you're seeing didn't even apply to the promise fulfilled, and it, God wasn't the author of it anyway. But I'm here to tell you that he will not. He will not. He will not give you a stone if you ask for bread. I cannot tell you how many times over the years I instinctively assumed my disappointment posture. You know what that looks like. I know mine is way too familiar. I would assume my disappointment posture when I saw what I thought was God's answer to a recent ask of mine only to discover later that it wasn't his answer at all. The answer was still unfinished at the point of my little meltdown disappointment. What I saw and interpreted as final answer actually wasn't. I have apologized to God so many times for what I assumed he did, when in reality, he was still working on my behalf to give me more than I could have imagined. I hope you've got a whole file of experiences like that. I hope you remind yourself often about that. How many times you've concluded what you thought God had failed to do only to discover that he wasn't done yet. And if you had waited a little bit longer, you would have seen he did more than he promised. Because that's actually who he is. Well, to wrap this up, I'm going to share with you one incident in my life, a big one. But I'm hoping that it'll be powerful enough for you to convince you to consider trusting God with your most cherished hopes. Of course, trusting him for the smallest things, those build trust too. I'm not saying just go for the biggies. Because remember, heart is a muscle and exercising it in any way strengthens it. So trust on every level. But I'm going to share one that for me, was a pretty dramatic one. It's one that still feeds me today. And I'm hoping that that'll help you consider trusting God in spite of what you think you see right now. Turn your biased interpreter off. It hasn't served you well anyway. After my son passed away, his wife delivered their second baby girl a couple of weeks later. She and her five-year-old sister, they were literally the only pieces of my son I had left. Then when my husband passed away six months later, I just was in a spot where I could barely breathe. I wasn't in despair, but I definitely was in a bit of emotional shock. That would actually be a fair description. Shortly after my husband passed, my daughter-in-law, hear me very carefully, she rightly so, decided to make a move from Florida out to California. And I lived in Georgia at the time from Florida out to California to be nearer a brother of hers who could help her and that he, she and the girls could kind of incorporate into their little family there. And, and it was wonderful. They, they are a wonderful family. I understood this move completely. But that said, oh my gosh, it broke my heart into a million pieces. She needed that move without any question. So 
I turned to the only source of comfort I knew for sure at that moment, and that was God. I just kept saying to God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I need, my heart needs my granddaughters. And they're now almost 3,000 miles away. How do I do this, God? They are the only piece of of my son I still have left. Please figure this out, God. Did that prayer take away the pain? Nope, did not. But you see, I know my bedrock. And my bedrock is if I ask him for a fish, he will not, he will not give me a serpent. So I had no idea whatsoever how, when, or where he was going to fill that need. I had no details whatsoever, but I know God. And I know he loves me. And I know when things happen that hurt, he begins immediately to weave a tapestry of healing. You don't have enough time here for me to tell you the hundreds of times over dozens of decades that God has done what he promised, even if I thought at first he had failed. The tapestry of healing for me began without my knowledge. My daily focus was on our company in Georgia, It was on selling my home and also on just getting my bearings on learning to live a life now as a single woman, a single mom, uh, a grandma. I gained a new perspective and appreciation for my single friends as I started going places. And I found myself without a date for the first time in almost 40 years. It was just really a very rude awakening. But while my life was going on in Georgia, God was weaving. You see, it takes time to knit the hearts, the families, the calendars, the distances, the hard experiences of people involved in any solution. It takes time. You remember a little while ago, up there earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that word when? I'm telling you, when is a trust train wreck waiting to happen if you don't get control of it? If you don't learn to let when be what God controls, because the truth is you have no control over when. You see, people's hearts aren't ours to control. And the time needed to weave a tapestry of healing isn't ours to control either. Mainly, simply because we don't know the complexity of the hearts and the events involved in any given solution We don't know. We think we do, but we don't. And usually it's only in 2020 rearview vision that we can actually see that God was smarter than us all along. But God was weaving. Did I know he was? No, I didn't. Did I trust he would heal my broken heart? Yeah, I did. But I didn't have a clue how. So about two years later, As I began to move toward Florida, unknown to me, my daughter-in-law had already begun a relationship with a man she had known in Florida years earlier. Of course, I was thrilled. Once I found out, I was thrilled. This is a beautiful, smart lady. I fully supported her remarrying. I knew she would, and I fully supported it. And I knew she would never make any decision that would do harm to the girls. I knew that. That's just the kind of mother she is. Always has been. 
but I had no idea that he was also located just an hour and three quarters from where I now live and at the time where I would soon move. But God was weaving. I'm going to make this long story shorter and just tell you that my girls, all three of them, daughter-in-law, two granddaughters, they live almost in my backyard. Now, almost in my backyard is an hour and 45 minutes away, which is actually a great distance. And it's certainly not California. And this man who loves and protects and supports them today, he is such a great guy. Let me tell you, this grandma wakes up lots of mornings thanking God for this wonderful man who stepped up into a very difficult place, wrapped his loving arms around my girls. And having lost a child himself, he gets me. He gets it. Could I have imagined this outcome? No. It was better than I could have asked or thought at the time when I asked. Did I ask for bread in this situation and get a stone? No. No, actually, in fact, I got an entire feast. Did this anchor my trust even more? Oh, you bet it did. What would it take for you to trust that when you ask for bread, he will not, he will not give you a stone, even if your journey takes a little longer than you expected and maybe in the process looks unlike what you asked for. What would it take? What would it take? Friend, like a little child filled with wonder and expectation, lean into the one who knows you the best and loves you the most. Trust me. There's that word trust. But trust me, your trust bedrock is the remedy for life's sinkholes. So I say, lean in. <laughs>